This is Celebration Church, but it's more than just a building or a church. We have a calling to be a place where people can find a relationship with God instead of religion. A place where freedom is found and acceptance given, and every person can discover their purpose and experience the kind of fulfillment only God can give. Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together. <laughs> it's the rowdy crowd, second service. <laughs> Let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us this morning. Yesterday was ugly Christmas sweater at the Gunger House. Big family gathering. Deanna said, you know, you ought to wear that tomorrow. I think I will. So I did. The best part is the shoes. Yeah, the shoes. Now check it out. Yeah. Now, now I bought these shoes in Australia man, five, six years ago because they look so cool in the store. But, but, but what do you wear that with? So she tossed me the sweater. Here, you got to wear this. I went, wait a minute. <laughs> Woo! Finally warm. So <clears throat> maybe St. Patty's Day or something. I don't know. I don't know what kind of green lizards they have down there, but that's what I'm wearing this morning. Um, we want to ask our ushers to come forward and get ready to uh, take our morning offering. Usually we take our offerings at the end of each service during the season of Advent. We've been taking it right at the beginning of the message here because at the end we are taking up our special legacy offering. This is a special yearly offering above and beyond, an opportunity to sow something special into the kingdom of God. Jesus said, lay up treasures for yourself in heaven. Someday we shall all depart this earth and then the question will be, what have you laid up for the life beyond? And this is one of the ways that we sow into it. Other ways you can do it as well, but one of them is financially, which is what Jesus was talking about. So some of you have had a great year. Be very generous. Some of you not so great. Be as generous as you can. Uh, what's our goal? Usually we have a financial goal this year. We decide we're not going to have a financial goal. We're just going to, our goal is going to be 100% participation. Can we get everybody to do something. So that is our focus this year. We're doing great. Started slow, but we're catching up. It's our final Sunday, which most wait for anyway. And, uh, and this is our opportunity to do something really special, to leave a legacy, something that lives beyond us. And that's what these funds are for. But right now we're going to take our regular offerings that uh, operates the church ministries here. Let's 
pray over this offering. Father, we are so grateful for the ability you've given us to earn income. We now return to you a portion of that which you have blessed us with in hopes of continued blessings from you in this regard. Bless this offering, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. All right. You can pass that around. <clears throat> this is our, our fourth and final Sunday of Advent. Advent means the coming, and we've been celebrating the coming of Jesus in the first Advent. Looking forward to the second Advent yet to come. Uh, I want to read you from the Old Testament this morning. This is from the prophet Isaiah. And spattered throughout the Old Testament are prophecies of the coming of the Messiah. And they pop up in some of the strangest places, but you put them all together and you get this picture of what is about to occur. And Isaiah gives these incredible words. He says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Then we pick up in our gospel reading in Matthew, the first chapter. Now, the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, he wasn't actually the husband in the sense that we think of husbands today. They would have a, uh, a ceremony to announce the engagement. And at that point, they considered some husbands and wives, but not in the sense that we would think because they're not actually married yet. Then they do the wedding thing. This is the family's all involved in this and uh, having input into it. What we would call arranged marriages. Now, oftentimes you'll see in movies the arranged marriage. I'm being forced to marry. And now that rarely, if ever, occurred. Quite frankly, maybe in some powerful circles because of some alliance between kings or something. But the people always had a final say. They could decide whether or not they wanted to marry this person. Now, this was based on looking at the person and thinking about their background and their families and stuff. Uh, they didn't date like we date. Uh, romantic love that we consider today is a fairly new uh, perspective in the world. Um, it didn't start really appearing until the 1800s. And that's when people started marrying for love and they wanted to fall in love. And that's when became all this emphasis on falling in love first for the bulk of human history and still for a great many of people throughout the world. That was not the way and is still not the way it is done. They would get together. They would make a reasoned, uh, thoughtful decision, families getting together. Uh, they still do this in India, actually, even Christians in India. They gather together. The family introduces them to each other. They'll get together like on a Friday night or something, uh, and the couple will, we, the family thinks it's a good idea, and the couple gets together, and they meet each other, and then, and then they decide right then and there if they want to marry. If they do, boom, Sunday they have a wedding, just like that. And if they don't want to marry each other, grab some lunch, and everybody goes home, all right? So no big deal. Uh, so they've always had a uh, uh, say in this. What is remarkable, as shocking as that is to our culture, to this very day, uh, couples like this have the lowest divorce rate in the world, 5%. 5%. Because they think it through. They're very intentional in their decision. They are not intoxicated by love. And for those of us who've been intoxicated, though, we're not supposed to be. 
you know that your best decisions are not made while one is intoxicated. And uh, love and emotions can be a very intoxicating thing. That's why a lot of people make some really bad decisions and why the divorce rate is so incredibly high. But that's the way they have done it. Uh, throughout the centuries. This is what undoubtedly happened. I was on an airplane once. I'm on an airplane all the time. But uh, there's this lady behind me talking. And usually, you try to find a place where there's nobody talking, you know, because I don't really want to hear about their lives. Not to be cruel, but shut up already, you know? But, or do it quietly. But, la, 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 la. They talk about their dogs and their cats. I'm like, good visions of taking my life, you know? It's like, oh my gosh. And, so this lady's behind us. She's talking about her and her husband. Oh, no, here we go. And, uh, but then I caught my ear that she was from an arranged marriage. And uh, this was done in Asia. And she's talking about this thing. And, oh, my parents tried to arrange a couple others. And I met them. And they just grossed me out. And I didn't you know. They always have a say. But then I met this one. And I thought, yes, this would be nice. I think I would like to marry this man. So they, boom, they just got married. And that was it. Uh, they have six children. And, uh, and she was just as happy as she could be. And I was fascinated listening to her. When we got off the plane, I wanted to watch her because she said that her family was meeting her at the, uh, at the airport. So I wanted to see this. You know, what kind of connection do we have here? And I'll never forget it. When those two saw each other, they just lit up. And she goes running into his arms for a big hug. And I went, wow. She goes, the way they always thought. And this is true, true still even in culture like Jewish culture. A very uh, uh, you know, orthodox Jews and stuff. It's still kind of done this way. They meet. They decide whether or not to get married you know, in the first couple of weeks. That's it. There's none of this dating, falling in love stuff. Uh, so they thought they marry and fall in love. And these tend to make very long. Now, I'm not, we're not going to change our culture here today, but be careful, you know. You say, I fell in love. Well, you can also fall in the toilet. So you want to be careful <laughs> about, you know, use your brain as, as much as you possibly can. So anyway, all that to say when it says her husband, he wasn't really actually the husband yet. He was just engaged at this point. So anyway, he says, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the, Lord, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. What prophet? The prophet Isaiah, which I just read to you. And then he now quotes that very same prophet when he says, look, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel. And then Matthew translates for us, which means God is with us. Now, when Joseph awoke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, although, and this is Matthew writing, it really wasn't a command per se. Uh, and I have taught this throughout the years. You get so many Christians together, and you're young single people, and they're just all... God bless them, delusional. And, and they're waiting. I'm just waiting for the Lord to tell me who to marry. And I said, it doesn't work that way. God never told anybody to marry anyone. This is the closest you can see. But read what the angel says. The angel never tells him to marry her. He just says, don't be afraid to marry her. A lot of young men could hear that story today. You know, they're too afraid. Oh, no, no, I rush in. I'm... <laughs> How many couples all the time? Oh, my gosh. 
I met this couple in Milwaukee. They're holding hands. I said, how long you guys been married? Oh, we're not married yet. Oh, how long you been dating? Seven years. I said, what's the problem? They looked at me and said, how do you know it's the one? I looked at him and I said, do you love her? And he looks at her and goes, yes. And I looked at her and said, do you love him? And she goes, well, yes. You're idiots, for heaven's sakes. I don't want to get all this nonsense from Use your brain, think it through, make a decision. Marriage is your decision. You don't have to get married, but if you do, think it through. So it doesn't command him to marry her. It commands him not to be afraid. So anyway, then he took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son. So they basically rushed the timetable up, and he then marries her. Uh, so now she's covered, trying to cover this, this pregnancy. So... Uh, and then he named him Jesus. This morning, I want to talk about someone who we hear very little of in the Bible, and it is about Joseph, this man who took Mary as his wife. There's nothing ever written about him. There's no words uh, that he says that's recorded. Uh, this is it. Um, and I want to take a look at this guy and the incredible role that, that he played. Now, first of all, I want to point out, fix my cuffs. My wife just sent me a text. She says me that from time to time. I cannot read them to you, but, uh, you know, there's a little playfulness going on. So, hey, I'm trying to think here, lady. Stop. So, anyway, cuff, is, is this okay? Am I cuffed properly now? <laughs> My flies, everything's good. Okay, all right. <laughs> being, being a righteous man. See, when you work, your wife isn't sitting on the front row. So, I'm telling you, it's more of a challenge here. So, anyway, <clears throat> he was a righteous man. And because he was a righteous man, he had decided initially to just dismiss her quietly. Now, you have to stop and remember, when she was discovered to be pregnant, this had to be a shock of shock to the family and to all that were involved. Um, what would you think? What would you think? I mean, had she been inappropriate with Joseph? Well, Joseph, he was freaked out. He hadn't had anything to do with this. And how had she even pulled it off? Now, maybe they thought she'd been raped taken advantage of by a family member, or, you know, who knows what happened. The Roman soldiers were occupying everything. Maybe some guy had taken her and pushed her down. I mean, who knows? All, I'm sure they were all stunned, horrified by this. I'm sure Mary tried to explain to them that an angel, but I don't think anybody was buying the angel's told me story. You know, poor girl. And, uh, and then this guy who was now engaged to her, and she's very young. Uh, we're not advocating this in our culture today, but the vast majority of Bible scholars believe that Mary was 14 years old when she gave birth to our Lord. So they didn't mess around back in those days. They got to it, chop, chop. Now we have the other extreme where people are 39 and side run all these guys all the time. Still, so not even a girlfriend. Dude, I say, you're half dead. But they don't get it. I don't know. This is the culture that we live in. So at 14, again, we're not pushing for that. Uh, and uh, here she's pregnant and everyone freaks. Joseph freaks. And what most people would have done is blather the news to everybody about her situation. We're coming to the end of 2019. At the beginning of this year, you'll remember we did a long series on the importance of forgiveness. And one of the signs of forgiveness is, shh, stop talking 
about it. Don't be blathering other people's uh, faults about them. In most circles, we call that gossip. In Christian circles, we call it prayer. <laughs> Let's pray for Larry. Why? He's a jerk. That's why. Let's pray for him. No, don't be. Don't do stuff like that. So, so they're, they're praying, you know, and, and they blather it to everybody. And that's not the spirit of forgiveness. Remember, he covered her because he was what? A righteous man. The more you blather other people's sins and faults, the less righteous we are being in the eyes of our God. Let us be reflections of his kindness to others and to cover people. Now, we read this scripture many times back then in 1 Peter where he wrote, uh, above all, maintain constant love for one another, for love does what? It covers a multitude of sins. Uh, Jesus taught us this in Matthew, the 18th chapter. If your brother or sister sins, and it really should be more like when, <laughs> How many of you have made a mistake in the past? Yes, the rest of you are all liars and now you're sinning. So anyway, uh, you know, everybody has their issues, right? And somebody, I, I promise you, no matter how close they are to you, and the more it stings, the closer they are, the more it stings. Somebody's going to do you wrong and they're going to hurt you and they're going to do something and, uh, and the temptation is to go blather it to others that you disapprove of this, that, or the other. But don't do that. Jesus says, if this happens, go and point out their fault. Just talk just between the two of you. What's the implication? Shh. Shh. Just between the two of you. Now, if they won't listen, what do you do then? Well, then take one, maybe. Maybe two. Still, the, 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 the implication is shh. Now, granted, if they fight us, that's when you start telling others. But, you know, not in a nasty way, not in a harsh way, not in exposing, you know, did you hear kind of stuff. Because righteous people don't do that. Let us walk as righteous believers. Uh, so anyway, and, and you know, Jesus uh, did this uh, in, in terms of uh, to encourage us to keep things secret and not to blather them all over. So number one, the thing about Joseph that we know very little about, one, he was a righteous man because he was willing to cover and not to expose. Number two, uh, he willingly bore her shame. Now, I understand, this was an embarrassing moment. for the, And even Joseph, who now had a vision from an angel, whatever that was in his dream, must have been quite the dream because it really changes direction. Uh, he marries her, but everybody right away can see she's pregnant. And I don't know about you guys, but, you know, those of us who married young, and as soon as you announced your wife was pregnant, all the grandmas and aunts did the math. You know, you know what I'm saying? There are people still do this to this day, you know. Oh, wait a minute, let me figure this out, you know. Make sure everything's on the... And well, they all did this to her. And they did the... And the math didn't add up. And this was to Joseph's shame. He willingly bore her humiliation. Uh, he certainly didn't ask for it. Neither one of them had done anything wrong, but you can imagine all the family and friends who obviously, very close, would have to be aware of the situation, did the math, Joseph's family did the math, and he willingly did this. Uh, <clears throat> I was reading uh, in uh, the letter of Hebrews in the New Testament, talking about Jesus, said we should look to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. The Bible, New Testament often talks about the shame of the cross. There's a, 
there's a degree of shame and humiliation, believe it or not, uh, assigned to us as believers. And sometimes you'll feel this, especially if you're around a bunch of unbelievers who like to make fun of you, or young people often will encounter this in school and stuff, and they feel bad because they, you know, they're ashamed to be a Christian. You have to understand, uh, some of that's just normal. Um, we are to identify with Christ, who took that shame, and we then take on his shame. There is a little bit of an embarrassment that's involved. And you know what? Embrace it. Hug it. Don't make it, don't cause it to deny Christ in your life. Oh, I'm not a Christian. No, admit who you are and what you believe. And just say, well, I, I feel this thing. And some people feel bad because they feel it. It's just normal. There is a degree of this that exists. We are to do this. He took the shame of the cross. He took our shame. You know, the one thing about Jesus is he continually associated with people who were very shameful. And they gave him a lot of grief about it. The religious people of the day didn't like Jesus. It was the religious. I mean, they got the Romans to carry it out. But it was the religious people who had Jesus crucified. They hated him for a variety of reasons. And one of them is the kind of people that he hung out with. And they would ask, why do you hang out with these kinds of people? And he said one time, he says, you know, it's not the well who need a doctor. It's the sick who need a doctor. I've come as a physician to, he's the great physician for the sickness in our soul. And I'll tell you what, as Christians, if we're really walking in love, you will identify with people that are in a bad place. You know, I spoke last week of this young man who got in trouble uh, uh, and uh, some people said, well, are, are you going to have anything to do with him from now on? I said, absolutely. Absolutely, we're not changing anything. If he were here, he's not here. He's going to be in jail for a while, but if he comes back, man, we will hug him and love on him uh, because this is what we do. We, are, we don't have to be ashamed of who we're connected with. The truth of the matter is that we're supposed to identify with people who have struggled and stumbled and sinned. And people have varying degrees have done all kinds of crazy stuff sitting around you <laughs> right now. And we love people. And we encourage people, you know, come to church, be a part of this. Forgiveness is what we celebrate. Oftentimes, I'll invite people to come to church who haven't been there in forever, and they say, I can't go, and lightning will strike me dead, you know. And some of you have heard that, but uh, that's not the way it works. God is not waiting in heaven and just make sure holy people get into church and to smite those who are not holy. It doesn't work that way, or we would have all been smitten by now, all right? So, uh, you know, don't worry about that. It doesn't matter what you've done, who you are, where you're at. You're always welcome here. Everybody's always welcome here. No matter, and I'll tell yes. You know, when you read the fall of Adam and Eve, the first thing Adam and Eve did is they hid. They ran away from God. When you mess up, man, you need to run towards God. He's mad at him. He's not mad at you. Remember, he gave that parable of the uh, prodigal son who ran off and wasted all of dad's money and destroyed everything in his life and finally came in humiliation. He was begging his dad for a job. But Jesus said in the story, when the father saw his son from a distance, he ran to him, threw his arms around him and hugged him. That's what, if you'll come to God, he will run to you. He's not ashamed of you in any way, shape, or form, no matter who you are, what you've done. And we should all be that way, willing to associate with any type of people. Uh, I've associated with all kinds of, quite frankly, horrible people <laughs> who invited us to their house. Okay, here we come, you know. I shared a story a long time ago, but uh, some years ago we were uh, 
in Dallas, Texas. And we were at a conference and talking about marriage and stuff like that. And this lady came up to me. She was a real nice lady. La, 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 just jabbering away. And finally she said, what do you do for a living? I said, I'm a pastor. She goes, oh, I'm a witch. <laughs> and, and of course, I had to ask, are you a good witch or a bad witch? Which she didn't think was very funny. But, uh, um, you know, so she's talking, la, 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 la. And she said, well, we're here with a bunch of, oh, I got a bunch of friends here. She said, you guys want to have dinner tonight with us? And I said, absolutely. And she ran off, and I looked at my group. Guess what? Tonight, we're having dinner with a witch. And, and they said, really? I said, yes, it's going to be fabulous. And, and we went with all the witch and the witchlets that were with her. And uh, we're all at dinner, and we're just being nice and smiling. And she kept looking at me, checking out. And she finally said, you say you're a pastor? I said, yeah. She says, well, you know, on a scale, you know, there's some really liberal pastors and some real conservative pastors. What, what, where, where do you sit? And I said, oh, I'm a real conservative pastor. She goes, oh, really? She says, I've never met a conservative Christian who wasn't mean to me. And I thought, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, sometimes we think we've got to lash out at people because of who they are. And, well, she said she's a witch. So what? Jesus loves witches. He does. <laughs> he loves you. <laughs> And when I say witch, I'm not talking about your mother-in-law. She was a real witch. <laughs> I have a lovely mother-in-law. She's an angel. I hope she's watching. Hi. But uh, no, full-blown. And but when we got done, I said, why don't you come listen to me tomorrow? She said, okay, I will. And sure enough, she showed up and listened to my whole presentation. At the end, she came running up to me, has tears streaming down her cheeks. She grabbed me and says, you make me want to become a Christian. And she ran away. I haven't seen her since. So uh, wherever she has in which land, we love you and Jesus loves you. Don't be afraid to associate, well, he's on this or there or that. Love people. Love people. Be willing to associate with anybody. I don't care what thinking they have. I don't care what sexual orientation they have. I don't care whether they're witches, little witches, good witches, bad witches, broomstick witches, whatever. Just love people. God has loved us. Now we should be willing to love others, even if there's a degree of shame that is brought to that. And that's what Joseph did. So number one, he was a righteous man willing to cover her failure. Number two, he willingly bore her shame. And then number three, which makes him a great guy. And I say this in celebration of men this morning. You know, it's amazing that the first thing God does when he starts all this, after announcing to Mary she was going to give birth to this child, she made sure there was a, he made sure there was a man involved. You know, a lot of men get slapped today for being men, and we get criticized from, in our culture for being men. And blah, blah, blah. I'll tell you what, it's good to have a man in your life. So well, I'm looking for one. Well, keep looking, but it's good to have one. We're not evil, creepy people. We're just men. And the thing that made him a great man is he was there. He was just there. It's a stabilizing presence. You know, a lot of times guys, and all guys struggle with this. You know, I say, oh, gee, I'm not as good of a dad as I should be, and I, and I wasn't of this, and I should be a better husband. Listen, nobody does this perfectly, all right? Everybody has their struggles. But what's important is that you're there. And not just there staring at a screen, <laughs> okay? But actually there and engaged with your family. Whether you're a great dad or a 
you make all kinds of mistakes. So what? That's not what's important. What's important is that you're there and you bring a stabilizing uh, force into the home. You know, we do these outreaches uh, as we go into prisons. And you know what's shocking is you go into these federal prisons. You ask these guys one after another after another and every single one will answer they didn't have a father. It's stunning. It's really stunning. Something really goes off in a guy when there's not a man present in his life. Now, they don't all crash and burn, but overwhelmingly, it's a bad thing. And also for young girls who need that daddy. You say, well, I don't know what to say. You don't have to say anything sometimes. You just need to be there and give a hug and be reassuring. Men are important. Who else would open the jars if, you know? <laughs> Who's going to kill the spiders? I am a spider killer. I kill them all. Squish, 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 squish. Of course, we live in Wisconsin, and none of them are poisonous, so I do it with great confidence. <laughs> if I lived in the South, I'd scream with the women. Ah! There's no telling what kind of creepy things those are. But being in safe territory, I am a very bold, proficient spider killer. You know, I just got the coolest thing. This has nothing to do with my sermon. But I said, it's a rifle. And you put salt in it. And you shoot spiders. And flies. It kills them. It's awesome. So much more fun than, you know, waving at them. So I don't know why I shared that, but I just came to my mind. So anyway. <laughs> Still looking for a Christmas present, look for the spider gun. It's out there somewhere at a retailer near you. All right. So, uh, what was I talking about? Oh, men, men. It's good to have a man. You know what? Men can be stable. They can be providers. They can help keep people safe. You know what? There's something about the presence of a man around that keeps bad men away. It does. It just is. Because the guy, bad man, doesn't know what kind of man he's messing with. He could be a really proficient butt-kicking man or a girly man. He doesn't know. He's just the man. You know, you don't know if the guy's carrying whatever. I, I heard the story the other day. Hilarious. This guy was on a, a subway in New York, and uh, some guy comes in and pushes him. Get, get out of my way. And he gets in and says, hey, man, knock on his And they're back and forth at each other. He says, all right, wait till the next stop. I'm going to kick your butt. The guy says, okay, okay. And they all stare at each other. I was waiting. Well, what the guy didn't know is that the guy was a professional MMA fighter. <laughs> leveled his butt. It was a glorious thing. He was a little shocked. So you never know who you're messing with. Good to have a man around. Be there. Just be there. Nobody's, nobody's perfect, all right? Everybody makes mistakes. There, there's not very many perfect husbands. I'm the only one I'm aware of. But ever that, you know, everybody's got their issues. But even in spite of your faults, you know, at the end of the day, what will speak volumes to your children and to your wife as you were there. Now, I will say this in defense of men. Uh, sometimes they can't be there a whole lot. Uh, there's seasons in life, especially when you're trying to build a business or a career and stuff. You know, they might be spending a lot of time away. And, and you can speak to it, and, and you can't just be there all the time. But there's seasons. Don't panic. Women have the same thing. You know, you have little kids, and they're sucking on your brain 24-7. How many moms remember that? You know, some of you are still going through it. Uh, the good news is eventually they grow up and they go away. 
Inevitably, they come back, I must say, but at least they go away for a while. Uh, then they'll eventually go away and free at last, free at last. <laughs> Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. You know, that's, that's the way. That's the way it's supposed to be, right? Birds eventually fly away. You do as best you can. Uh, but that, that you're there. So sometimes they can't be there as much. Uh, but don't panic. And same with guys toward their wives. Don't panic because she's overwhelmed with being a mom. It's mommy time, okay? Seasons of life. We just need to be patient. Have a long-term view. People ask me sometimes, how come little things don't freak me out? Because I have a long-term view, okay? A long-term view, you know? I don't freak out about the... Actually, she was asking me, my lovely wife. She'll get mad at me. How come you're not upset that I'm mad at you? I, I think long-term. <laughs> she can't hold this up forever. You know what I'm saying? This one, I know, don't raise your hands, but I know guys, their wives have dreams about the guy did something bad and they wake up mad at him. You know, you guys, you guys raising their hands. <laughs> Y'all crazy. That's all I got to say. Anyway, I'm mad at you. I didn't do anything. It was a dream. It seems so real. It's a dream. Anyway, be there. Joseph was there and made a huge difference through all of this. I'm going to invite Archers to come forward and we're going to turn for our communion time and wrap this up. Let y'all go, all y'all. This is our time when we turn our attention to what all of this is about. And it's about celebrating what Jesus did for us. He came into the earth. We celebrate Christmas and his miraculous coming. But uh, the real thing, the importance of all of this is what he did. And what he did is he offered himself up as a sacrifice for all of us. His body was broken so that we could be made whole. His blood was shed so that we could have forgiveness of sins. That everybody, anybody, no matter who you are or what you've done, even if they are some really bad things, you can experience complete and total forgiveness if you just put your trust and faith in Him. That's what we celebrate when we take communion. And I don't know where you're at this morning. Maybe the first time you've been in a church. Maybe it's been a long time since you've even been in a church. I don't know. But we're going to pray a prayer together. And if you'll pray this prayer with us, we talk about Advent, about the coming of Christ. We're, we're encouraging people to have their own personal Advent, where Christ comes in to them and they experience this wonderful grace and forgiveness. So if you'll pray this prayer with us, you can start your first steps of faith of this morning. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Say, Dear Jesus, I invite you to come into my life. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come now, Lord Jesus. Create an Advent in me.